This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. Like many of my novels, it, it waited a long time, fully formed as you say, waiting to be written. It was a boxcar in the station among several boxcars waiting to be the next novel. That's literary icon John Irving. He's just released a novel, In One Person, which follows a famous writer exploring his gender and sexuality. Last week, Mike Duncan of our sister station, the new classical 96.3 FM, talked with him about why he's fascinated with these subjects. And this week, 86-year-old Arno Maggs won the Scotiabank Photography Award. It honors his lifetime of work, which actually is only about half a lifetime. Arno didn't become an artist until he was 47 years old when he walked away from a successful career to follow his dreams. He joins me on today's show. And today would have been Richie Valens' 71st birthday. His life ended tragically when he was just 17 years old. We'll have a special tribute to Valens and hear the song that was near the top of the charts the day he died. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. This week, the world lost a style icon. The legendary hairstylist Vidal Sassoon passed away in his Hollywood home at the age of 84. The British native is credited with revolutionizing women's hair in the 1960s. He redefined sexy with shortcuts and sharp angles that complemented bone structure. He developed manageable hairstyles like the five-point bob, which helped encourage women to throw out their hot rollers and forego weekly trips to the salon. He's also credited with Mia Farrow's famous pixie cut for the 1968 film Rosemary's Baby. Sassoon was also one of the first so-called celebrity hairdressers with his own salon and a line of hair care products. The U.S. Senate's Special Committee on Aging will hear testimony on the experience of older workers to shed some light on key employment issues and discrimination facing the demographic. The title of the hearing is Missed by the Recovery, Solving the Long-Term Unemployment Crisis for Older Workers. It recently released a statement saying that 80% of baby boomers expect to work past the traditional retirement age and that a one-size-fits-all retirement strategy is no longer applicable. The hearing takes place this Tuesday at 2.30 p.m. and will be streamed online at aging.senate.gov. And speaking of people working past the usual retirement age, it looks like Poland is going to be the next country to raise the age of retirement. This comes just weeks after a similar increase here in Canada. In Poland, the current retirement age for men is 65, and it's 60 for women. Under the approved plans, the age will gradually move up to 67 by 2020 for men and by 2040 for women. (laughs) 
And finally, new Canadian census data has revealed that the majority of our farmers are Zoomers. As of 2011, 48% of farm operators were 55 or older, compared to just 40% in 2006. This raises questions about who will produce the country's food in the future. The aging workforce in Canada's farming community has been a concern for a long time as fewer young people enter the industry. And that is on top of a 10% drop in the total number of farms in the last five years. I'm Louise Nimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. This past week, Knopf Canada released the 13th novel by Zoomer literary icon John Irving. At 70 years old, he's still at the forefront of cutting-edge fiction. The novel In One Person is the story of writer Billy Dean and his search for his own personal truths amid 50 years of sexual politics. John Irving was in town last week, and the new Classical 96.3 FM's Mike Duncan sat down to speak with him. Before I get to the human characters of the novel In One Person, I want to talk about one character that pervades the entire book, and that is the character of the library. What does a library mean other than a repository of knowledge to an author such as yourself? Uh, I loved libraries as a kid because um, it wasn't just where I could be alone to read and be assured that I would not be interrupted Mm -hmm. because I would be interrupted if I were just reading a book at home. Before I knew I wanted to be a writer, I knew that there were times in every day where I needed to be alone. Mm -hmm. Perhaps the precursor to being a writer was the knowledge that I liked being alone. And whenever it was as a kid, I could not be found. People said, oh, Irving, go, he's in, he's in the library somewhere. I know, he's always in that funny room on the third floor. Go find him there. It was where I first became a, a writer. It was um, where I sometimes went not to read at all. I just put a book in front of me and opened it, but I was, I was safe. I was mm-hmm. safe there. Mm-hmm. The character of, of Billy Abbott, he's a bisexual how did the character of Billy come to you? Was, was he fully formed, or did you have to, to work on him? You know, he did come fully formed. This story came fully formed mm-hmm. uh, as long as 12 years ago. I thought, well, we are listening. It's a first-person voice, and we are listening to an older man remembering his sexually formative years, his coming of age, which was, for that window of time, very confusing to him mm-hmm. and, and multifaceted. He's attracted to older women, girls his own age, not so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, boys a little older and more dominant than he is, very much. Uh, he's full of self loathing and anxiety about what his uh, sexual uh, proclivities, as his nemesis Kittredge says. He's all of these things, but the truth is, Billy really has two heroes, and they're both these transgender women, Mm. like like bookends in this novel, and they were always there. Mm -hmm. He has this older woman, uh, this transgender woman, Miss Frost, And at the end of the novel, Billy takes a kind of pride uh, in himself 
as Wilbur Larch would say, he is of use uh, or sees himself as playing the mentor role to this young boy who doesn't want to be a boy, mm -hmm. to this young transgender in progress, as he thinks of her, mm -hmm. this character G. And so those choices, I think, were, I thought, well, this book, fully formed, 12 years, it came with a title. It was always mm. this title. I could hear Billy saying later in the book, as he does, I knew that no one person could rescue me from wanting to have sex with men and women. Mm -hmm. In One Person is available now, and you can read more about John Irving in this month's issue of Zoomer magazine. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. One day, out of the blue, I thought, I'm, I'm going to be an artist. I had never, never considered the thing before that in my life, being an artist. That's 86-year-old photographer Arno Maggs. This week, he won the Scotiabank Photography Award, and he dropped by our studios to talk about his work. We'll hear that conversation next. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. It's the ultimate Zoomer story. A man well into his 40s leaves a successful career to follow his dream to become an artist. That's what Arno Maggs did in the early 70s. Since then, his work, which explores themes of identity and organization, has influenced generations of art photographers. This week, just days after celebrating his 86th birthday, the sprightly artist won the second annual $50,000 Scotiabank Photography Award, and I sat down with him the day after. Arno Maggs, congratulations. What a wonderful prize. Thank you. One of the things that I find fascinating about your story is that in the 70s, at the age of 47, you left a successful career as a graphic artist to follow your dream. So please tell me about that. I was a graphic designer and a sort of a, a decorative illustrator and very successful at that. I found myself art director of a big studio and I hated the job. I bust my ass to, to get the job and then I hated it. A rival firm offered me a job as a photographer, and I took it. And that went on for seven years, and I did a lot of uh, magazine work, a lot of fashion photography, a lot of travel. And at the end of seven years, I got a little bit bored with that job, in a way. And one day, out of the blue, I thought, I'm, I'm going to be an artist. And I had never, never thought or considered the thing before that in my life, being an artist. I sold my house. I sold most of the things I had had a lot of funky antiques, a Victorian house filled with them, sold them all, kept the paper things, kept the ephemera and things like that. I thought the best way to start as an artist is to draw. So I enlisted at three schools. I drew and drew, and one day I'm looking at the model, and I see a profile of her head, and I sort of suddenly realize the sculptural properties in the human head. And I looked at everybody, and I thought, everybody's different. And I thought, I have to show this. So I thought the only way to do it was to go back to photography. At this point, I didn't think I was going to be a photographer anymore. I'd sold all my Hasselblads for a pittance. I had to go out to Henry's or somewhere and buy a used Rolly, and then I bought a used Hasselblad after that. But I started experimenting with daylight. Now, let's go back. You, you sold everything you had. How did your family react to that? Well, my family was grown up. They, I wasn't living with them then. I was... Uh, 
had a girlfriend at the time, and we moved into a little house at the end of the garden and just lived there for a while. For most people, especially, I guess, at that stage of life, taking that on would really be daunting. I was imbued with energy. I felt I was doing the right thing. It was an adventure. It was extremely exciting. And the, what's that, 38 years ago or something? And the energy is still there. How long did it take you to establish yourself as an artist? Well, I think that was 1973. I worked at these comparative head studies. And in 1978, I did a show at David Mervish Gallery. And I showed a piece called 64 Portrait Studies, which was my first work. And it was very well received. It's now in the collection of the National Gallery of Canada. And I went off to France, and I did a new work uh, with a group of chefs, which is called uh, Cire Le Doyen. It was done in the Champs-Élysées with chefs in a French restaurant there. Sounds delicious. (laughs) And then the following year, in fact, in late 1979, I was in New York at the Guggenheim Museum, and there was a big exhibition of work by the German artist Joseph Beuys. This exhibition was incredible. There were drawings and sculptures, but he was working with things like honey and felt and copper. And I said, this man is great. I have to photograph him. And I took the train to Dusseldorf, where he lives and had taught. I got to Dusseldorf, and I said, shall I phone him right now from Dusseldorf? And I said, why should I do that? Why don't I just go and see him? And I thought, boy, I better, I better get it right this time. <laughs> uh, and I told him that I was an artist from Toronto, and I showed him some of my work. And he said, well, I'm, I'm sorry. The work's nice, but I'm too busy. And I looked at him dead in the eye. And I said, well, he said, you know, isn't that just the way? He said, I've got all the time in the world. And that sort of stopped him in his tracks. And he said, well... In that case, why don't you come by next Wednesday at 10 a.m.? <laughs> I thought, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do 100 portraits of him, and I'm going to set it up in a grid, and there'll be five rows of 20. And that's the type of work, one of the types of works you're known for, this, you call it serial identity? Yeah, that's what I was doing at the time, yeah. What advice do you have for somebody who is thinking of giving it all up to do what they love? Well, be careful. (laughs) I think you have to follow your love, follow your passion. I think it's good. I don't want to see somebody my age or at 47 going broke, but uh, I think it's it's good to take chances. Now, you're just turned 86. Happy birthday. Thank you. You look amazing, and you seem very, very fit. Do you think that doing what you love has something to do with that? It has a lot to do with it, yeah, yeah. I enjoy my work. I leap out of bed in the morning, and I'm at work every day. And do you have a fitness regime you want to tell us about? I do Tai Chi every morning before breakfast in the hall, and I do yoga twice a week now, which is very good. I like that. And in the summer, I, uh, I go off to France with my wife, and we're, we're visiting flea markets, all the flea markets we can find in the area. And I find a lot of my ideas, and sometimes the work itself will come out of flea markets. And do you have any plans? What are you going to do with the money, the $50,000? I'm, I'm going to keep solvent because I, I do plow a lot of money back into doing new work. Okay, but well, that sounds wonderful. Thank you so much. You're most welcome. Nice to meet you. Thank you.
His exhibition, Arno Mag's Identification, is on at the National Gallery in Ottawa until September the 3rd. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Well, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, little darling. The famous 1950s rocker Richie Valens would have been 71 years old today. Coming up, we'll honor the anniversary of his birth with a look back at his life, and we'll hear the song that was at the top of the charts the day the music died. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Today would be Richie Mallon's 71st birthday. The famous singer and guitar player was only 17 years old when the plane carrying him, the Big Bopper, and Billy Holly crashed near Clear Lake, Iowa. Valens was born and raised in the San Fernando Valley region of Los Angeles. Growing up, he was surrounded by traditional mariachi music, flamenco guitar, and contemporary R&B, all of which would eventually influence his unique style. He started playing guitar at a very young age, and by the time he reached junior high, he was so skilled with the instrument that he'd bring it to school and play songs to his friends on the bleachers. When he was 16, he joined a local band called The Silhouettes and quickly became lead singer. In the spring of 1958, he was discovered by Bob Keane, the owner and president of Delphi Records. Keane signed Richard Valenzuela to the label and convinced him to shorten his name to Richie Valens. Together, they recorded hit songs like La Bamba, We Belong Together, and Donna. He made a few short tours before embarking on a major multi-act rock and roll tour called The Winter Dance Party. Conditions on the tour buses were notoriously bad, the heating system was broken and the bitter cold weather took its toll on the band. As a result, one night, Buddy Holly chartered a plane to get them from Clear Lake, Iowa to Fargo, North Dakota. He invited some fellow performers to fly with him, including the Big Bopper and Tommy Alsop. However, Valance was coming down with a cold and asked Alsop if he could take his seat on the plane. Fate was decided by a coin toss. Valance won and took the seat on the Beechcraft airplane, which lost contact shortly after takeoff. The next day, the wreckage was found in a cornfield less than six miles from the airport. It has since become known as The Day the Music Died. Richie Valens' song Donna was high on the Billboard charts that day and would eventually climb to the number two spot.
was Donna, the song Richie Valens wrote about his high school sweetheart, who stayed with him until his tragic death in 1959. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you'll be back next week when we talk about the latest craze in nutrition, the gluten-free diet. See you then. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.